So the general consensus I'm getting is everybody is sad that winter is ending. You're all disappointed. The big days of snow are over. I'm glad we all agree uh, on that. So I have a question for you this morning. If I were to give you a $10 bill and ask you to get me some food somewhere, and the total only came to, uh, let's say, $8, what do you think you would do with the other $2 if, if I asked you to, to do that? Uh, I don't know where you're going to get a good meal for $8 anymore, but... Uh, Say that happened and there was a $2 of change, I think we could probably all agree that if you just decided like, well, maybe he won't notice and you just pocketed that other $2, uh, I think we can agree that would be wrong uh, to, if I gave you the money and said get the meal and you decided to just keep the change instead of asking for it. I think most of the time we've all been a part of a uh, situation like that where there's some leftover change and you offer it back and they're like, oh no, go ahead, keep it, you know, thanks for doing that kind of, kind of deal. Uh, it probably feels a little better to pocket that $2 if somebody says, oh no, you keep it, than for us to just pocket it and say, oh, it came exactly to $10, uh, it was crazy, you, you know, who to thunk, uh, and so there's no change. I think we, we would feel better keeping that money and we would think it was wrong to steal it. It's not our money, we don't have any right to it. Right? If, if somebody gave it to us for a purpose, we accomplished the purpose and there was leftover, we would uh, want to rec- uh, give that person the change that they're due. Uh, so it's an easy concept to grasp when it comes to a $10 bill. But do we all view our time the same way that we view the change that we would possibly have in a situation like that? Time is, I would argue, and many people would argue, maybe the older you get, the more you would argue this point, time is so much more precious than something like money. It's a precious resource that we should steward well, that we should handle well. We each have the same amount of time. Uh, It's one of those resources, like if you work really hard and you're really wise with your money, if you attend the financial seminar on April 3rd, uh, you may even have more money uh, later on down the road if you steward your money well. If you steward your time really well, you don't get more of it. You may be able to get a better quality out of the time you have, but it's not one of those resources like if you're really poor, you have less of it, or if you're really rich, you have more of it. We all have the same amount of time. Uh, not saying that we all have the same amount of time like years-wise in, in life. Who knows where that'll take us, but every day, every week, every month, we all have the same amount of time that we are given uh, to steward well. It's one of the few resources in life that we just, it's equal across the boards for all people. Every week we have, if you do the math, 168 hours. So let's say in an ideal week, our weeks break down this way. Uh, Those of you that don't have kids, uh, say you get eight hours of sleep. Um, I know it's a myth to those of us with children, but uh, some people actually get eight hours all in one shot, uh, eight hours of sleep, not over like eight days. Uh, Eight hours of sleep times seven days, that equals 56 hours. Let's say you eat really slow, uh, three hours of eating a day times seven days is 21 hours. Nine hours of working, uh, we'll include commute and things like that for for some of you, times, say, six days is 54 hours. 
Um, that leaves you, if you're not a savant at math, with about 37 hours. About 37 hours uh, is left over in that ideal week. What I want to talk about this morning is those 37 hours are like the $2 that was left over after the meal. They're the hours not already being spent or allocated to something uh, that you really, unless you decide to fast or you know, skip work, um, those hours need to be used up that way. That's just part of life. Living in normal everyday life, you're going to eat, you're going to sleep, you're going to go to work, uh, or you're going to be engaged in some type of activity. I know like my wife stays home and she puts in a lot of time around the house and with the kids, and so there's just a number of hours that are already used up. If we believe Scripture, and I hope you do, everything we have belongs to God. We are only His stewards of it. When we made that transaction in salvation and we said, Lord, what you have to offer is something I cannot afford. It's not something I can ever earn. And so here is everything. I know it doesn't put even a down payment on this thing called salvation, but here it is. I give it all up for the offer of salvation. And God says, yeah, you're right. That doesn't even begin to pay for it. I already paid for it though. So he gives a lot of it back to us and says, okay, now this is mine, but steward this well. Your family, your house, your finances, your time, everything. He returns it to us and says, steward this well. And like I said, that includes our time. So how purposely do we invest our time? That time that He has given us, that leftover $2, how much do we invest well with that? How much of it every week do we invest in entertainment? How much do we invest into social media? How much time do we waste? I don't know if, if, if you have, I don't know how to do this on iPhones because they're garbage, but uh, I know how to do this on Androids. And if you have an Android, uh, if you've never done this before, uh, you can take your phone and if it, you can hit those little three, the little hamburger icon, and uh, if an app is open, you can click into that app. You, you can tap the little icon at the top and you can go into it and there's this thing called an app timer on the Android. So if you wonder, how much time did I spend on Facebook this week? How much time did I spend on Instagram or I don't know any of the other ones because those are the only two I even look at. Uh, But I know there's a bunch of other ones. How much time do I spend in this app, we'll say. You can actually see every minute you've spent in that app this past week. So maybe you want to just do that and kind of wake yourself up. Uh, I know for myself, I went through it myself this week and was like, oh, okay. Uh, I need to probably use my time better. There's definitely some things I can cut out of my day. Uh, and what's even interesting about it is you can see what time of the day was like your most amount of time you spent in that app. And so if you're wondering, how much time am I wasting on my phone? I, I encourage you, and if you have an iPhone, I'm sure you can Google how to do that. Um, they probably have the similar feature to see how much time are we investing, we'll say, in each of these areas. Because when I have conversations a lot of time with people, it's, oh, I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that. And we wonder, okay, if you added that up over a week, how much time could you have invested somewhere else? One of the principles I think is very true is how much time we waste shows how much we value the time we have. 
How much time we waste shows how much we value the time we have. If you're somebody who just tends to waste a lot of time, you probably don't value your time a lot. If you're somebody who doesn't waste a whole lot of time, you're probably intentionally and purposely investing it well into the things that do matter. How much of our time is purposely invested into eternity? You know, uh, just about every other sermon, I, I enlighten you to one of my many pet peeves. I only have a couple hundred, so um, it's a short list. But one of my many pet peeves is when someone says, I didn't have the time to do this, whatever it is, fill in the blank. I didn't have time for that. What bothers me, and I, I try it myself to never say that, to use that uh, terminology, uh, because we all have the same amount of time. We had time that week. What they really mean to say is, I didn't prioritize that in how I spent my time. That wasn't a priority to me. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound nearly as nice. And so we might say, oh, I didn't get around to it. I didn't have the time for that. The reality is, is I didn't prioritize it. That wasn't a priority in my week. Or something else took priority over that. And if we're honest, that's the, that is, is the truth. The way we invest and spend our time is directly related to our priorities. None of us invest a lot of our time into something that's not a priority. We consider it a priority. Some of us, as we look through the app timers on our phone, will realize social media is a priority for me. And especially if, if like, say, you, you look at that and you notice, wow, early in the morning, those early morning hours, that seems to be like the, the most amount of time I spend on social media. What could I invest that time into that could better spend that time? Instead of scrolling through my I don't even know what they're called. Uh, instead of scrolling through social media and looking at all this stuff, maybe I could invest that. Maybe I could read a book, one of those books that I know I've been putting off and said I should, or maybe I can spend that time listening to a book because I don't like to read, but man, I, I could probably sit there and listen to one. How we spend our time is directly related to our priorities. Without exception, If someone were to look at how we spent our time this past week, it will give a clear list of our priorities. If someone were to look at your timesheet for last week of how you spent every minute of your this past week, it would clearly show where your priorities are. If we were really to take a a quick look at how each of those 37 hours were spent, we probably realize a lot of things. One of the things that I love to do is uh, I, I love to budget. Uh, it's one of my things. I, I, I'm a nerd. I like spreadsheets. I like numbers. I like to work with that stuff. And so I like to, to do that. And I, li- I, I really do like to help other people with it because I was not good at it uh, early in life. And then I got onto it and I realized, wow, when you pay a lot of, a lot of attention to where your money goes, you can actually, you can make it go a lot farther if you are smart with it. And one of the realizations that a lot of people have is you sit down with them and you start mapping out and looking at exactly where their money's going. And it's almost every single person that we've ever sat down with that that I've sat down with 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 a budget realized they have an aha moment when they realize, I cannot believe I spent $250 last month just on coffee. And you think about, you could literally go and buy a, a super expensive coffee maker, make it at home, and you've saved money. 
little things like that, little aha, when we, when we actually look at how we spend it, we realize, whew, I didn't think I had much money, but now when I'm being intentional and diligent with how I spend it, look at how much more I seem to have. Similar with our time. Now, you might think like, oh, well, you can't really take my priorities from this last week because this happened and that happened and this happened. But even in that, we realize, man, maybe one of my priorities is crisis. Maybe I, I jump at a crisis instead of maybe weighing it and saying, you know what? I understand this seems really important, but it's going to have to wait because I have other things that are a priority for me. I think what maybe a lot of us, uh, if we sat down and mapped out every hour of this past week, we might realize we waste a lot more time than we realize. We feel stressed. We feel like at the end of every week we just didn't have enough time. But when we look at how much time we spent on entertainment, how much time we spent on social media, how much time we just spent doing like nothing, we realize we wasted a lot. We don't make the most of every opportunity like we're encouraged to. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, it says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. This scripture doesn't give a whole lot of room for, Ah, you know what? It can wait till tomorrow. Just put it off. Don't worry about it. Use your time however you want. That's certainly not the idea I'm getting from this scripture. It seems to be saying your time is precious and we should invest it well because the days are evil and we don't know how much time we have left on this earth so we should invest every moment well. How each of us invests our time matters. You might think that your time doesn't matter because of your circumstance. Maybe, uh, I'm just going to use my wife because I don't want to pick on anybody else. My wife might think, well, because I'm a stay-at-home mom, my time doesn't really matter. Or you might think, oh, because you don't work, I might think like, oh, her time doesn't matter because she's a stay-at-home mom. Not true. Every moment of every person's life matters. God gave it to us. It matters. It's His, and He's given it to us to steward well. Just because we don't think that $2 is a lot of money, it doesn't mean that we get to steal it. doesn't mean that pocketing it is okay. Because, well, the person who gave me the $10, they're like a millionaire, so they don't really need it. God doesn't really need my time, so it's okay for me to just pocket this and steal it. And God is saying, absolutely not. I gave this to you, and I told you to steward it well. We know, most of us probably know the, the parable of the talents, and the bad steward says, oh, yeah, I didn't really know what to do, so I knew you were a harsh man, and so I took that small amount and I just basically buried it. I didn't do anything with it because I, I didn't know. I was uncomfortable with it. And he didn't steward it well. That $2 still has value to the owner. And the owner of our time is God. And because we were made on purpose, for a purpose, every second that we've been given, we've been given on purpose and for a purpose. God didn't give us a bunch of time and say, I don't know, figure it out, do something with it. He made us on purpose and for a purpose. We talked about this last week, so if you're totally in the dark, just go back and, and watch last week's to understand just how much we have been made on purpose and for a purpose. 
So the question we're going to answer today, hopefully, are we living on purpose with our time? Is that how our time is spent on purpose? Today we're going to talk about stewarding our time well, which means using all, all of the time that we're given in a way that pleases God. And the two ways that we're going to look at investing our time today are in filling and pouring. Might not be your typical uh, time management or steward of time sermon, uh, but I think it helps me, instead of just saying me standing up here and saying, steward your time well, that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, I've learned in, in budgeting with people and things like that, very practical matters of, of finances, just saying, you should invest your money well. It doesn't really help a whole lot unless you actually walk someone through, okay, what things should I invest my money in? Uh, how should I spend my money? What would be some good ideas and tips? So that's kind of what today's about, is my suggestions to you on if you want to steward your time well, these are two areas that are of utmost importance as we steward our time. Um, I want to read from John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, and I'm, I'm kind of departing from the New Living Translation for this one. Um, so I'm going to be reading this out of the ESV. If you're following along and you wonder why it looks different. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now we have this portion of Scripture, and I want you to think for a moment, why does it say living water? Have you ever thought about that? Why living water? Why not just streams of water will flow from you? Why living water? I don't know if you've ever had to think about that. I'm making you think about Scripture this morning. I know it's tough, you lost an hour, and now you've got to think about Scripture. Well, let's, let's think about it this way for a second. What happens to water when it sits still? It becomes stagnant, which means what? It, bacteria stuff builds up. It's dead. It's not good water. You don't want to drink water that has been sitting in the same place for quite some time. I wish my children understood that as they tried to drink water from any source they could possibly find it from. Living water automatically gives an idea of what? Motion. It means it's moving. There is no such thing as living or life in water that has sat still. In order to be living water, it must be in motion. It must flow. There must be constant movement. That's what living water does. It moves. Which is why I want uh, to look at how we invest our time in the areas of filling and pouring. If you take, a, say, a dead body of water and you put a little bit more water in it, what changes? Trick question. Nothing. It's still dead. I've actually gotten to spend time in the Dead Sea, which is pretty cool. Uh, and you might think by the, the, the name of it, uh, for sure, there's not, nothing that lives in that sea. Uh, it's the Dead Sea for a reason, uh, but there's still water flowing into the Dead Sea at all times, but it's not enough to bring life back into it. It's still considered the Dead Sea, even though there is a small amount of water that still flows in there, it has been dead for so long, it would take an enormous amount of water 
to flow in and out of the Dead Sea in order for it to become alive again, for life to flourish there. If you take a, 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 any size of a dead water and you put just a little bit in there, it's not going to do a whole lot. If all we ever focus on is filling, we remain useful to nobody. If all we're ever concerned with is, I need more information, we show up to church and we want preached at, and we read our Bibles, and we do things that fill us, but there's never a pouring motion, we're dead water. There's not this idea of motion, of, of flowing, and so it becomes dead inside of us. Though the water was alive when it entered, it hits the stagnant body of water, and it also becomes dead. There must also follow a pouring Jesus doesn't say, in the believer's heart, a pool of water will well up and sit there. He very well could have. If the point of Christianity was to get just biblical information, put it in our heads, and do nothing with it, that's what the Scripture would say. Jesus was intentional with every word that came from his mouth, so if that's what he wanted, that's what he would have said. Instead, he says in verse 38, anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. It'll flow. The water, or the Holy Spirit in this passage, was meant for motion. It was always intended for motion. It was never intended to just sit there and become stagnant. You can't pour, however, before you're filled. You can't pour water that doesn't exist, that is not there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's a question that you may never have been asked. How much time do you invest and being filled with the Holy Spirit. How much time in this last week did you invest in being filled with the Holy Spirit? My guess is a lot of us are coming up with some goose eggs on that one. We're trying to think, okay, what, did I spend time being filled with the Holy Spirit this past week? What would it even look like to invest time into being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is an odd thought that we might not have an answer to that because the verse on the screen, it's telling us, commanding us, be filled with the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever been in a job where you were told to do something and you just kind of didn't do it, and then the boss shows up and says, what's going on here? I told you to dig this hole. There's no hole. What's the deal? we would uh, probably struggle with coming up with a good excuse as to why we didn't dig the hole, if that's what we were supposed to do. And I think some of us will stand before God someday and He said, hey, I told you to be filled with the Spirit. What happened? You, you went to church a lot. You read your Bible a lot. What happened to that whole being filled with the Spirit thing? Oh, well, that seemed really weird. That, that seemed a little, like, radical, so I just chose not to follow that Scripture. I didn't really understand how, like if you were, think of the work situation, if they said dig the hole and they showed up and you didn't dig the hole and you said, ah, you know, I didn't know how to dig a hole, so I just sat here. How many of you think that would be a good excuse? Be, well, then ask somebody. 
If you didn't know how to do it, then ask how to do it. Figure it out. There's an expectation if you're told to do something and you don't know how to do it that you ask for help. Saying I didn't know how is not a great excuse. Well, for many, we can think that being filled with the Spirit is this radical moment where we start yelling and screaming and our blood pressure goes up, that we get loud and we get chaotic. And we can think that the amount to which we're filled with the Spirit is directly related to how loud we get. I know this thought exists, this misconception of being filled with the Spirit exists. That in order to be filled with the Spirit means you have to get loud. And there has to be this like chaotic motion that happens with this. And it's false. Let me ask you something. Do you think there was a moment where Jesus was not filled with the Spirit? Okay, I'm just seeing how many apostate people we have here. Okay, we're good. So we agree Jesus was filled with the Spirit. How often did Jesus run around screaming and yelling at people? Not a lot that I read of in the Gospels, unless we're missing a lot here. We know of one time when he was flipping tables and stuff, but most of the time the Bible tells us that people were amazed with the gracious way he spoke. There was a calmness. There was a a peace, a serenity to Jesus And yet he was filled with the Spirit. So I just want to deal with that misconception that being filled with the Spirit means we got to get loud and we we got to do something that's way, way outside uh, of our comfort zone. Now, he's probably going to call you to things outside of your comfort zone. But it probably doesn't look like what some of that misconception could be. Jesus, as far as what we read in the Gospels, and I think we have everything we need to know in the Gospels, is not recorded of running around and, and, and chaos following him or, or him screaming and yelling and, and, and as if Jesus thought, well, the louder I get means the more spirit-filled I am. That's just not true. So how do we go about being filled with the Spirit? Well, I'm going to be borrowing a lot of thoughts from a book I will highly, highly recommend that you read. Uh, it's not so much a book as more of like a pamphlet. It's very short very concise, but A.W. Tozer uh, wrote a book called How to Be Filled with the Holy Spirit. Really good with titles, that guy. Um, it's actually, it's, it's more uh, some of his uh, sermons that's, that are put together in this, uh, but if you're wanting to dig a little deeper into this and you're saying, like, if you've been told to dig the hole and you don't know how to dig the hole, if you're being told to be filled with the Spirit and you really don't know what that means, please read this book. It's like 60 cents on uh, Kindle. You don't have to have a Kindle to read it. You can read it right in your, right in your browser. But it's 60 cents to, to buy this book. And it's how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do we do it? Well, I'm going to steal a little bit of his thoughts. First, present your body to Him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God can't fill what he can't have. God cannot fill what he can't have. If we're not willing to present our bodies as living sacrifices, if we're not willing to say, here I am, Lord, fill me, that filling will never happen. 
It doesn't matter how much energy you put into it. It doesn't matter how much motion, how much, uh, how much work you put in, how many books you read. If you're not willing to present yourself as a living sacrifice, it'll never happen because he can't feel what he can't have. And he's not going to try to rip us away from ourselves. I'm reading another book that's just really awesome. And one of the things it talks about is how there's only two gods that we can serve. Or there's only two masters. There's either Jesus is on the throne of our heart or Satan is. And a lot of the way we live our lives, can we really say that God is on the throne, that He's in control, that He's the Lord of our life? So often we put ourselves there, and Jesus does not represent, we we're not representing Jesus in that moment. We're representing the enemy. When we put ourselves on the throne, we say, I, I understand the whole sal- salvation part. I'm glad I'm avoiding hell, but now I want to be in charge. That's definitely not of God. And so we need to put the Lord, Jesus, in that place. He becomes Lord of our life. We present ourselves to Him and say, everything is yours. You're in control. You're on the throne. Everything is yours. Because He can't fill what He can't have. Next, the next step into being filled, we need to ask. So we present ourselves. And then there's an actual asking part. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13 says, And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Have you ever asked? Have you ever sat down, presented yourself to God and said, I'm sorry, I've I've had myself on the throne of my life and um, I now want you on the throne of my life. Will you fill me? Fill me with the Holy Spirit, please, Lord. The next step is obedience. Acts chapter 5, verse 32, says, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey Him. If the thought in your mind is, well, if I get the Holy Spirit, then I have more power, and then I can really do what I want, it's not going to happen. The Holy Spirit's given to those who obey Him. And so there may be a moment, there may be a time that you can point to and say, oh man, I remember, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened? I don't know what happened. We stopped obeying Him. We stopped living in obedience. The Holy Spirit told us to do something. He wanted to lead us somewhere, and we said, ah, I don't know, that seems uncomfortable. Ah, that's really going to be inconvenient. And so we stopped living in obedience. And so we were no longer filled. Now, it doesn't mean we weren't saved. We're still sealed by the Spirit. What we're talking about is, is, a, is a surrendering. A, a, the filling is, is more of a surrendering. The next step, lastly... We must have faith. Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. It says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? This is going to almost seem contradictory to what we just talked about. Well, you have to live in obedience. Oh, you have to follow all the law if you want the Spirit. That's not it. Checking all the right boxes does not mean we're going to be filled with the Spirit. There has to be a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We have to obey Him and follow Him. 
but it doesn't earn us anything. We still have to have faith that God is going to do things. Having faith that He's going to move us and He's going to work through us. And that if He calls us to something that's way outside of our comfort zone, He's going to go with us. And He's going to empower us to do that very thing that we feel so inadequate, so unprepared, so not ready for. We have to have that faith and step out into it. As we do this, Tozer suggests six pointers to being filled. And I'm not going to go too deep into them because I really want you to read that book. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a living person. We should treat Him as such. Sometimes, very often, we can view the Holy Spirit as like this great idea or this like almost like, I, some of you know I grew up as a Jehovah Witness and uh, the Holy Spirit is more described as like an emotional feeling. Like you've got anger, joy, fear, and the Holy Spirit. I don't really know how they got there, but that's where they got to. Uh, it's not a person to them, and the Holy Spirit most definitely is. I know most of us uh, don't read Hebrew uh, very well or Greek, but when you look at when it talks about the Holy Spirit, it, it always uses pronouns that are for a person, an individual. Uh, I know uh, some of us might struggle with that idea, but He is a living being. He is deity, just the same as Jesus and God the Father. The Holy Spirit is a person, and we need to treat Him as such. He's an individual who speaks to us, who we can speak to, and we should treat Him like that. If you want more information on that, I encourage you, Francis Chan wrote a great book, uh, The Forgotten God. Read that. That's a great one for getting a better idea of the Holy Spirit as a person. Number two, being engrossed with Jesus Christ. We should have a passion. There should be a desire to know more about Him, to learn from Him, to be like Him. Number three, walk in righteousness. We're not going to be filled with the Spirit if we're living outside of God's will. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to do that. Number four, make your thoughts a clean sanctuary. We'll talk about this more in this series, but our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And our thoughts are kind of like the control center. If that's all gunked up with junk, I guarantee you the rest of the temple is not going to be functioning properly. And so Tozer encourages us, make your thoughts a clean sanctuary. If you came in this morning and this place was like trashed with garbage everywhere, how many, how many of you, that would kind of mess your worship up a little bit. It would make, make you feel weird if you sat down and like there was jelly on your seat. Um, it would probably mess you up a little bit. I wouldn't like it. Our thoughts should be a clean sanctuary for the Holy Spirit. Number five, seek to know Him in the Word. Nothing can substitute for the Word of God. And so if you're not actively, currently reading the Word on a regular, diligent basis, then please do so and talk to me and I can help you. I'll get you set up with a plan and we'll get you running right away. Number six, cultivate the art of recognizing the presence of the Spirit. Six really great points. Again, that book, it might take you at most, if you're a slow reader like me, an hour to read it. Um, so I encourage you, pick that up, read that, because it's an awesome encouragement on how to be filled with the Spirit. What would our lives look like if we invested our time every single day into these activities, into being filled with the Spirit? What if every day we went to work, every day we engaged the day, filled with the Spirit of God. How would that change how we live? How would that change 
our families, our workplaces? How would it change the world? Again, Jesus said the rivers of living waters will flow from us. It's not enough to simply be filled and then ask God to stop filling because we're full. Many Christians have gotten to a point in their life where they said, whew, man, I'm full. So now I'm just going to take a seat. I'm going to attend service once a week. I'm going to do as little as possible because I'm full. I've got enough of God. I'm good. I'm on my way to heaven. I'm not going to hell, so I'm good. I don't need to do any more. And I'm not just talking about old people. There's some people my age and younger that have felt like, I got God. Salvation was my goal. I got it. I'm good. Now I'm just going to do the bare minimum to kind of maintain this thing, and that's going to be good enough for me. The expectation in Scripture from God is that we would constantly be pouring out as well. So how do we invest our time into the act of pouring? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How do we pour out the Spirit? We live lives worthy of our calling. Each of us is called. We've talked about this. We'll continue to talk about this. I told you this year will be a, a lot of self-discovery and what we do as a church family and discovering what our individual personal callings are and how do we live that out. But each of us has a calling. And so how we pour is we allow the Holy Spirit, which we're now full of because we've been engaging in the activity of being filled, we allow that Holy Spirit to flow from us and to others. Now, I don't know uh, your concepts of science, but in order to flow from one thing to another, that other thing has to be there. So that means we might actually have to be around people and pour out to them. This means that we can't just sit and do our own thing and not engage with, in community with other people. Again, the, the book I'm reading right now, I'm, I'm really loving it. But one of the things it talks about is how in the early church, the number one difference, the number one thing you can point to and say, this made the most difference of all the things they did. This is what changed the world. It was community. They engaged in radical community with one another. So much so that people that were on the outside wanted to be on the inside. They desperately wanted to be on the inside. Because what they saw happening, the way they cared for each other, the way they met together, and, and they, were, they were a stronger family than even blood relatives could possibly be. That's what changed the world, was community. And so we have to engage in community with both believers and unbelievers and allow the Holy Spirit to pour out from us to others. And the unique method for each of us will be different because of the unique calling on each of our lives. For me, part of my pouring is every Sunday morning. This is part of it. Another part of it is I, I, my meetings with many of you that we meet, we talk, we coach through things, we're in discipleship, we're doing different things. That's part of the pouring as well. For you, it's not going to look the same. It's going to be different because you have a different, unique calling on your life. Again, I keep asking every week and nobody wants to preach every Sunday. So uh, apparently I'm the only one that has that unique calling. So each of you, it's going to look different doesn't have to look the same as somebody else. Don't look at somebody else in, in, in the church and say, oh, well, I have to do that. In order to be spirit-filled, it means I have to do what they're doing. It's not true. 
Each of us is gifted in different ways. We each have the same general calling, which is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But the form that takes, the way in which that will be accomplished is different and unique for each of us. It's so easy to live accidentally. Most of us probably know that. So easy to go through a week, you get to Saturday or Sunday, and you man, man, what, what did I even do this week? I spent a lot of time. I was doing a lot, but I feel like I didn't accomplish much. What have I done? We've lived accidentally. To simply respond reactively to situations around us and the most urgent crisis in our life. Some of us live that way. We live based on what the most urgent crisis is, and we try to address things in that urgent category, and and we're always trying to just react to life around us. It takes discipline and intentionality to invest our time on purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. One of the things I want you to walk away from today realizing is there are a number of things that God has planned for you to do. Are you doing them? Is how you invest your time every week accomplishing that? That list or that amount of things. This scripture is very clear that We were created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things that He has planned for us. God has a plan for your life. He has a purpose. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. Are we investing our time in a way that that's possible? There are good things that God has planned for you to do, and these will be the ways that the Holy Spirit pours from you so that the Holy Spirit in you does not become stagnant. So that you don't just worry about being filled for yourself. And that water, which should be living, becomes dead water. When you get to the end of your life, which I hope for all of us is a very long time from now, what do you think you'll wish you had invested more time into? Do you think as you process your life, uh, you know, when you're getting close to that time and you begin to process your life, do you think you'll wish you had invested more time in your work? Whatever your job is, whatever you wish, oh man, I wish I would have spent a lot more time. I wish I'd have got a lot more overtime. That's what I'm really regretting now in my later years. I didn't get more overtime. Do you think you'll wish, oh, I really wish I had finished those three shows on Netflix. I never finished them. I can't end life like this. This week, as you spend, invest your time, what will it say of your priorities? If somebody were to follow you around and log all of your time, what will it say about what you prioritized? Would we be proud of how we invested our time? If uh, I kind of given you this creepy uh, thought before, but you know, what if a private investigator followed you around all week and then reported back, "Hey, this is how Bruce spent his time this week." Would I be embarrassed of the numbers that came up of how much I invested here, how much I invested there, how much I spent here? Would we have to, if the Lord were to call us home this week, would we have to shamefully admit to God, I 
thought I had more time. I knew that you had that good thing prepared for me to do. I just kept putting it off because I thought I had more time. I, I, I thought I could spend more time on me first. I thought my kingdom needed more work first, and then I could attend to your kingdom. And I have some homework for you. For some of you, uh, you already meet this criteria, so it's not really homework for you. But if you're not over 70, ah, here's your homework. Invite someone who is over 70 to lunch. Meet them for lunch at their house or go out to lunch. Be in community together. And ask them, what do you wish you had invested more time into in your life? Not regrets. I, I, don't, I don't want to talk about regrets, but what, you, what do you wish you had invested more time into? And hear their heart. Hear what they talk about. I think a lot of it will have to do with community. I wish I had spent more time with people, certain people, relationships they had, relationships they wish they had or they had invested more time into. I can pretty much guarantee you no one's going to say that, oh yeah, I wish I'd finished those three shows on Netflix. But just listen to their heart and take what they say to heart as they tell you what they wish they had invested more time into. Or, if they don't have an answer to that question, ask them, what are you most satisfied that you invested your time into? What things do you look back on and you're so happy you invested time into that? Both of those questions I think are really good and will hopefully help to speak into your life as you think about what should I be investing my time into? One of the exercises as we close that somebody really woke me up to was they said, take the number 80 and subtract your age from it. So for some of you, uh, you might have to do some addition uh, instead of subtraction. But uh, take the number 80 and subtract your age from it. And they said, on average, this is how many years you have left to do what God's called you to do. That's just speaking on average, and that's actually being generous with the average. But on average, that's how much time you have left to do what God's called you to do. When we look at it that way, it seems like, wow, I only have 42 years left to do what God's called me to do. That's not a lot of time. On average, that's how how many years you have left to live a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I don't know about you, but I, I would love nothing more than to enter heaven, to stand before God, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, and to know that it's true, that I invested my time well, that I invested every day, I, that I refused to start my day not being filled by the Holy Spirit, and then I refused to live the rest of my day not pouring out that Spirit, that I refused to be a stagnant body of water, that my goal in life was to be filled and to be poured and, and to be filled halfway through the day and to be filled all throughout the day and to be poured out all throughout the day and to live a life worthy of the calling to which I've been called, to invest my time on purpose. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the time you've given each and every one of us. Uh, Lord, uh, just in this last year, there have been people that we know, people in our congregation, whose life ended before they thought. They didn't have as much time as they thought. 
Lord, you've given each of us this precious resource of time. And every week, some of us, we waste some of it. We waste a lot of it sometimes. Instead of living a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called. So Lord, I pray you would take us on a journey of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Even those of us who feel like we're doing really, really good with the Lord, would you teach us more this week how to be filled? And would each of us learn how better to be poured out, that we could take that living water and allow it to flow like a river, not like a trickle, but like a river to those around us, that we would purposely engage in community And we would allow you, Holy Spirit, we would trust you, put you on the throne of our lives and allow you to take us where you want us to go and to do what you want to accomplish. This week would be a, a turning week in our life that we would decide that for the remainder of the years you give us, we will steward that time well. Lord, I pray you would do a work in each of our lives that one day we could stand before you And we can say, God, I stewarded the time you gave me well. To the best of my ability, I gave you the time you gave me and I used it how you would want me to use it. Lord, I pray you would walk with each of us this week, that you would take us to places that might be uncomfortable, but Holy Spirit, would you empower us and would you do things way beyond our capacity? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Have a great week and invest well.